0: Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. All right, good morning. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, um, I don't know what makes the vintage Christmas service vintage, but it's next week, and um, I think the vintage part is, is, uh, is that you'll get songbooks. I, I guess that's it. But... Um, uh, so basically, that's, it's not like this well-produced like Christmas show. I'm not. I'm not even preaching. Like we're gonna gather, we're gonna set up in a circle, and we're gonna have seats for the for the families and the elderly, um, and the rest of you, able-bodied people, are going to stand uh, in a big circle. And we're just gonna sing traditional Christmas songs under candlelight, and it's gonna be fun. And it's not gonna be like inspiring or like. I'm not like I'm not writing a Christmas opus for everyone we're going to sing and have fun. And uh, a small band, it's not about the band, it's about the voices and all of us singing together. And the children are going to sing a song, and uh, one of the children is adorably going to read us the Christmas story. It's going to be fun. Okay, so I know, uh, right? Okay, Um, so here's our passage today. We could go, okay, I rewrote this like three times, this sermon. Like, there's so many different ways you can go. Matthew is an interesting writer. Matthew does things that the other gospel writers don't do. Um, and he specifically arranges all the teachings of Christ and the events of Christ's life in specific ways to make points. We tend to today look at history as what happened in chronological order. Um, That's a relatively new invention in human history. Um, History used to be kept and told in ways that made a point and emphasized meaning. History had meaning. It wasn't just facts of how we got here. It was... um, it was sort of uh, the story of what God was doing. And so Matthew, specifically, and, and others, but mostly Matthew, he, he rearranges the life and the teachings of Christ in a way to, like, to teach different veins of thought as you move through it. Um, so there's three ways I could have taught this passage. One of them is, um, like last week we talked about worry. And oftentimes in ancient texts, especially Jewish texts, the things, how they're ordered, sort of... Uh, hint at how you're supposed to read it. And so we just finished a passage on worry. And so this could be a passage to where you can continue thinking along the line of worry. Um, Don't worry for your clothing or your money, and also don't worry for other people as well. Um, Trust God to guide them. And so you could go that direction. Another direction you could go was uh, Jesus has been talking about the hypocrites, the Pharisees, the religious elite who are doing good things in public for people to see them. Um, and so there's a general thing of like outside how you, um, perceive other people and how people perceive you. Um, and so all that is here. The way we're actually going to go about it today is the story of how people change and how they're reconciled. So all three of these things, there's worry. It's obviously in the verses right before it. There's Jesus constantly calling people hypocrites. He's calling the Pharisees hypocrites. That's there. I'm taking it all the way back to the, the, um, The Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom come, Thy will be done. Um, How do people heal and change? How do people find wholeness? That's that's how we're going to look at this today. And I could, I'm not going to, but I could literally preach three sermons in a row, coming at this from different angles. Um, There's different levels at which you could go into scriptures in the ancient mindset. It's this beautiful tradition, and Matthew takes part in that. We're going to look at it today um, in a specific way that has to do with reconciliation, that has to do with helping people heal helping people find wholeness, Um, and so before we get going today, before I pray, um, I want you to picture in your mind someone that you um, see as they're heading down the wrong path, they're in a state of unhealth and unrest, Um, they're making the wrong decisions, they're going the wrong direction, Um, and this person you have been maybe speaking to and working with and trying to enlighten them the way you are enlightened, right? And, you, and you've been trying to shake them, and you just want to shake them and tell them, you need to change, this is wrong, what you're doing. You want to confront them in some way. I want to think about that person today. I want you to think about how you've been doing that. And I want to compare the methods you've been using with the methods that Jesus is using, and, and actually the method that the gospel uses to change people. Um, and so as we pray, I want you to ponder this person, ponder your methods, um, and let's open up a discussion about that, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we lift our hearts up to you. We lift each other up to you. We, we love our community. We love our families. We love our friends and our relatives. And, and, and we want nothing more than for people to find health and goodness and holiness and salvation We want them to see truth and beauty and light. We want them to open up. Show us how that is done. Show us the part we can play in bringing healing to the world and goodness um, into the lives of people, bringing them to places of health um, so that they can see the love that, that, that you have for them. So that they can see their part that they are here to play in what you, God, are doing in this world. Change us, bring us to places of repentance, um, guide us, give us purpose and meaning. Um, give us new ways to love people, new ways to bring your kingdom into this world. Thank you, Father. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start right here. Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Um, Okay, so I'm going to jump right into this. The, the, the word judge is this word crino. Everyone say crino. Very good, okay. Crino is this word that simply means to inspect. You pick something up, you hold it in the light, and you look at it from different angles. You're looking for imperfections. Um, you're looking for um, things that maybe declare the value of it or whatever. You're inspecting it, looking for things that are wrong. Nobody likes to be inspected. Nobody. Nobody likes you to dive into their life and look for all the things that are wrong. Um, you don't like it, I don't like it, yet it is probably the thing that we all do the most to each other. It is the great human pastime to gather um, and to talk about the crap that other people are doing and talk about how we're not doing it. Even Bible studies, if you heard the phrase, I just want you to know so that you know how to pray, this is what so-and-so is doing, (laughs) right? Like, this is what this is. Um, and, and we like to, this is, today's passage really is made up of three things that are some of the more well-known and well, like, well-heard in the world, um, passages of Scripture. Um, people know these passages and they regularly say them, don't judge me, don't judge what I'm doing, don't judge my life, who are you to judge me? Doesn't your Bible say something about judging people? Now, um, so today, this is sort of what we're talking about because there's people that you want to change, and yes, you can see that what they're doing is wrong. How do you talk to them? How do you do this in a way that is loving and not offensive and not judgmental in the sense that people are thinking? Um, so one of the things that Matthew does is Matthew is regularly telling this um, this sort of scenario where what you give out is what you receive. Um, we don't like to necessarily see this in the scriptures because it kind of smacks of karma, stuff like that, right? Um, and, but Matthew goes out of his way to say this over and over and over again. There is a relationship between the life you give and what you receive. Um, and he says it, here's a few instances, Matthew 26, all who live by the sword will die by the sword. He says it to his disciple Peter. Uh, Matthew 6, if you do not forgive others, their sins, your father will not forgive you. And so there's this prayer at the end of the Lord's Prayer that sort of we are given to ponder and to think about. And the prayer is meant to change us. And the prayer is sort of, Father, forgive me to the extent that I have forgiven other people. This should change you. This is probably a prayer that you should be praying and thinking about. It will make you a more forgiving person and let you realize um, you probably don't deserve the amount of forgiveness you've already been given. How could you not be forgiving to other people? And then Matthew 10, 33, whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. These are passages that we like to sort of ignore. We like to have a specific kind of Christianity that is, look at all the free stuff I get from God. Amen. That's what we like. Um, Christians are not well known this day and age as they were, as they have been in different times. They're not well known for giving grace, for being gracious people who are reconciling and patient and peaceful. Um, Christians are more known today for being a little more warmongery, a little more angry, a little more stand back and yell and tell everyone what's wrong with them. Um, Today, this passage will probably open up something that that confronts all of that. Um, And so Jesus says this. He says, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Um, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Um, okay, so there's this, he talks about sort of the measure you use, the, 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 the Greek words that are used there refer to like everyday sort of measuring cups. Um, here's one here. This is an ancient Roman measuring cup that would be used in the Agora, the gathering marketplace. Um, and here's the scenario that is pictured here. Uh, someone is selling wheat and there was an agreed-upon sort of measure that all the sellers would be using. They're selling wheat, flour, grain, stuff like this. And you would take your, like, just maybe it's one cup, and you take your cup, and it's, it's accurate, and it's your, like, by law, it has to be accurate, and you're measuring, and you level it off, and they buy one cup of wheat from you, and you pour it in, they give you the money. Um, this scenario sort of imagines that you have a, what you call a one-cup measuring cup, but maybe it's like... Three fourths of a cup. And maybe you've weighted it in a way that it feels like a cup. And maybe you've spent a lot of time fashioning this this cup so that nobody can really tell. But now every time you sell a scoop of your own wheat or grain to someone else, um, you make a little more, they get a little less, you're skimming off the top. And so in this scenario, someone has been measuring a certain amount to people and selling it. And then they go to another table and they say, I need to buy some flour from you. And they say, Great it's $5 a cup. And they say, great, I'll take one cup. And the guy says, great, hand me your cup. And you pull out your cup and give it to him. Because what are you going to do? Say, no, let's use yours. Uh, and it's sort of this, okay, so I deserve what I'm receiving now. With the same measuring cup you use, it will be used on you. Um, and so this is sort of the scenario that he is painting. We don't like to usually measure people with the same measurement that we use for ourselves. We are a tribal people. Um, We separate ourselves for any and every reason, right down to the music that we listen to, uh, from our political parties to our affiliations with different groups or clubs or um, sports or things that that we like to take part in, things that we like to do. Um, And what we tend to do is someone who is who like maybe you're reading the paper or you're seeing social media and uh, someone commits a crime and you look at this person and you look at them and you say, well, you you look at the picture of them and you say, well, they kind of look and dress like me. I wonder why they did what they did. What drove them to do this? And you sort of, you, you ponder, I mean, they're like me and they did this. I can't believe that because I would never do that. So there must have been something that caused them to do this thing. And then a little later, the same thing happens again, but it's someone from a different race, a different <laughs> creed, a different whatever, and you see them go by, and you're like, I can't believe they did that. Of course, that's how they were raised to be. That is what their people do. This is tribalism. We don't tend to measure people who are not part of our tribe. It's xenophobia. We don't try to tend to measure people with the same measuring cup that we use for ourselves. Um, People who have the same level sort of, of, of wealth that we do, we look at people underneath us as, um, well, you know, maybe they just didn't work as hard as me, or they're not as educated. We tend to feel better about ourselves and less good about them. And then people who are above us, you t- maybe tend to think that maybe they got that wealth, uh, it was Ill, ill-gotten gain. They did something wrong to get that because I've done everything right and I'm only here. Uh, so they must have done something wrong. And I don't like the way they're spending it, first off, um, they should be really doing all this stuff for other people. And then when someone asks you, well, why aren't you doing that? Well, like, it's impossible at my level. If I was at their level, I would. The fact is you wouldn't. A not generous person, again, a person who's not generous at one level, if they get rich, is just a rich person who's not generous. Like, it's the same. Um, yet we tend to look at people on our level and think they are just like me and I understand their struggle, but I don't understand that person and I don't understand this person. And we judge them more harsh. Um, Here's an interesting one that I have noticed over my 10 years of pastoring, is that, like, I can say things as as a white male pastor, I can say things that are usually accepted and trusted, and then when someone else gets up, maybe a person of color or a woman gets up and says the same thing I've said five or ten times, I get an email saying how they disagree with it. You would not believe how much that happens. Um, that is real. We judge people more harsh who we are neither not used to hearing or or we have decided is the representation of what we'd like to see. We don't measure everyone with the same measuring cup. Um, And so, there is this sense in which we judge some people's deeds as immoral and our own deeds, which are very similar or the same, we judge as maybe, well, that was unavoidable though because of the situation I'm in. And this happens all the time. Now, Um, if we keep reading Jesus' words here, he says this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Now, um, so the, the words used here are hyperbolic. They're hilarious in the ancient mindset. We're like, no, it's not funny. In their minds, it, the, the Greek word for like the smallest particle like a particle of dust flying around gets in somebody's eye and then there's this other person it's the biggest word for like a pole that you'd put and put something on top like a, like a crest or a flag um, and you and like that's in your eye and you like turn around take all these people out and you turn around and you're like hey and you look at something and you're like you got something right there um, that's the idea and he would say this in, the, in, a, in a hilarious rabbinical way and the people would laugh and um, the, the comical part of this whole thing is that he's actually buried in this comical statement. He's giving instructions about how we talk to people who need to change, how, if we have judged something and someone um, that is unhealthy and that they need to work on, it, they need to, they need to change, they need to fix. Um, buried in this is the method by which this happens. Now, um, Here's the comical picture. I'm Van Gogh over here, all right? Now, um, so if someone has a beam in their eye, it's this way, right? If someone has a beam in their eye, they can't get close enough to the other person to see the speck of dust in their eye. It's impossible. And so you picture uh, someone here, and they want to help this person over here, Um, and they have words for them. They're like, hey, I want this person to change. And so how does this happen? You picture someone maybe even 10, 15 feet away, and you're not wearing a Britney microphone so they can't hear you well, and and you say, hey, there's something in your eye that you need to fix. I saw this, and you need to work on it. So you're yelling, you're pointing, you're waving them down to get attention. There's other people around. Everyone is looking their way. Everyone now is involved in the conversation that you are having with them as you declare they're horrible, hideous sin that they need to change as you stand there with a pole in your eye, which is the reason you can't get close enough to them. So there's this sort of comic relief uh, that, is, that is happening. You're confronting someone from a long ways away, and you're yelling, and you're drawing attention, and they start to feel embarrassed and ashamed. Um, I was in, uh, I think it was two or three years ago, I was in Ybor City one night walking down 7th, and I recognized a girl about a block away. She, she attends Watermark here, and she was walking this way. And between us was this street preacher. You know the people I'm talking about. A street preacher, giant sign, stick figures doing different things. And, and he looks at her, and he starts talking about immorality. And he starts talking about uh, specifically like sexual immorality and the things people do that are, that are forbidden in the eyes of God. And he looks at her, and he points at her, and he calls her a whore. And he, he yelled at her for the things that she was wearing. He had judged, he had judged her, her clothing choices um, unacceptable. And, and he was insulting her and shaming her in public. And I see her as she's looking around, and she realizes that he's talking to her through his megaphone. Um, and she looks at him, and she realizes everyone's looking at her. And she starts feeling this sense of shame and a little bit of dread. And then she kind of looks like this, and she sees me. And I'm standing there, and I had stopped walking, and I felt the same sense of dread. And me and this guy are apparently in the same field of work. And I'm looking at her, I'm like, no, there's nothing to say. And this is the idea. It is the public shaming of another person that you have deemed in your situation, you made a bad choice, you did the wrong thing, I am here demanding that you change while ignoring your own obvious flaws. Um, this is the idea. And what it does to people is damaging and it's hurtful. And it is not how Christ has the outline that Christ has given us to bring people to places of health. This is not it at all. Um, And so Jesus says this in the next verse, in verse 8, you hypocrite, first off, hypocrite. Second, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus has given us sort of this, this path this method. Um, We first look inward. We reflect on ourselves. We are prayerful. Um, We are practicing the disciplines. We are striving for wholeness and health. We are humbling ourselves in the presence of God regularly. We are praying the Lord's Prayer, which puts us in perspective. Our Father, He's a Father, and I can approach you with even all the things that I've done. I can approach my Father Our Father who's in heaven, who's holy, hallowed be thy name. He's different from everyone else, and he still judges me um, as loved. Um, Your kingdom come. Uh, There's this this thing that you have let me take part in, and you've offered to me to take part in your kingdom being established in this world. There's this whole other way to live um, that instead of our eyes being outwards, I mean, this has been the focus, a bunch of people standing in the streets, right, that Jesus has been talking about, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, who stand up, they tithe in public for everyone to see, they pray in public and loudly and eloquently for everyone to hear, and it's all about the outward appearance, Um, and Jesus says, first off, we're not going to think about the outward appearance. You need to do the work yourself. We're not going to judge them. You're going to do the work in yourself, and you're going to do everything you can to get right with God. You're going to receive the work that Jesus has done and you're going to respond um, with a holy life. Eyes that are full of light, like Jesus said in the last passage. Generous. Um, Generous with people, um, not just with your tangible things, but with your love and with your grace. And you're going to make yourself right. Um, And and if you have works to make yourself right, he says, first take the plank out of your own eye. Do everything you can to be a Christian, a healthy follower of Jesus, to, hum- to humble yourself and live a life worthy of, of, of the name that you wear. If you first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The only people who see clearly how things should be made whole are the people who have taken the steps themselves, have already walked that journey. If you have been through something and you've come out the other side, and you see someone else going through something, that same thing that you went through, you can see clearly exactly what this is going to look like for them and exactly what steps they need to take. And you can be that person that will help them through it. This is the opposite of standing from afar and saying, you need to change, you need to change, and yelling at people on a street corner, you need to change. This is getting to know this person, walking with them, cleaning yourself up, um, spending time in prayer and confession, and service, and love of other people, and then entering into a relationship with this person. There's a word that Paul uses in Philippians chapter 2. It's one of my, like, 10 favorite Pauline words. Paul invents these words. He takes lots of words, and he sticks them together and makes new words, Um, and one of those words is the word he uses for encouragement in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, if there is any encouragement, um, he's talking to the church. Um, He says the, the word encouragement that he uses is this word parametheon. Everyone, parametheon. Okay, this word, if you, I want you to remember this. I want you to understand this word because this is how you encourage people. This is how this works. This is what Paul, the word Paul uses for how people are encouraged. It comes from two words put together, the word para meaning beside, next to. The word mythion at the center of the word myth. A uh, Mythion is the word myth, which is a story meant to inspire or to get you to think. Um, so paramythion, the image here in the word that he uses is you come up beside someone who needs help who needs encouragement. And you are the encourager. You come beside them, you put your arm around them and you whisper in their ear, we can get through this. I will walk with you. And then you tell them, Mytheon. you tell them a story. You tell them a story. Um, I was here and this is what that was like. And then these things transpired. And now I'm here and here's how I got there. Here's how I found healing. Here's how painful it was. Um, and there is confession involved in this story. There is humility. There is, there is a, uh, um, a, a sort of a blatant admitting of pain and suffering that you walked through. And that now you are giving to this person who desperately needs encouragement. You see their unhealth. This is the path to their healing encouragement drawing near not standing afar and yelling and screaming at them Um, if you're going to help anyone else you must be at a place uh, where you are filled up you must find a way to get to a place of health because then you can best see how other people can be made whole. Me and my wife have a rule. Uh, we have lots and lots of rules that, that, that we live by. All of these rules were picked up over the last 15 years of being married, and they were, they were picked up um, by making really bad decisions. And then we, we finish, we endure this thing, and we look at each other and say, what have we learned? And we make a new rule. Um, one of the rules that we have is don't take advice from people who have, what is it? How do I say it? Um, it's don't take advice from people who have not been successful in the area in which they are giving you advice. Now, there's a story. Yes, every law, every rule, right, comes from comes from something happening. You ever? There's like rules in other in other states that are like there's a rule in like Kentucky where it's like you can't throw a pickle in the road on a Sunday. That's like literally a law. And you're like, I want to know the story. How this became law? So I asked somebody for advice. Um, I took their financial advice. Um, it went very poorly, like really bad. And, uh, and then I found out that they had themselves had about $83,000 in credit card debt. This was like 10 years ago, like $83,000 in credit card debt alone, not to mention school loans. And they somehow drove an excursion. And I was like, I was like, well, I didn't ask any questions. I just trusted them. And here we are. What have we learned? And so sometimes you pay money to learn lessons. Um, that was one of those times. And so this is one of our lessons that we've learned. If we need advice on something important, um, we're going to call people who have been experienced and and done well in those things. I've called some of you um, and said, hey, you do this and you've always been good at it. I have not been so good at that. Give me a call back. I'd like to ask some advice. Um, And so this is what this is. If you have been through something, you have a certain level of expertise, That can help other people walk through that thing. Um, There is a sense of empathy and compassion. Like, yeah, I did that too. I did that too. Let's walk through this together. Um, And Paul, uh, he mentions this kind of idea several times. In Romans chapter 2, he writes to the church in Rome and he says, when you, a mere human being... So first off, he starts saying the same thing that Jesus said. When you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things... What do you, th- do you think you will escape God's judgment? And then he says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? What is intended to lead you to repentance? The, the harsh, like, wrath? No, like, literally kindness. It's, it's the forbearance that God has had with you, the patience and the love and the kindness that God has poured out for you. Every day drawing near to you again, no matter how many times you've pushed them away. It's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. This is laid out clear through scriptures over and over and over. It is also um, understood as followers of Christ that our kindness to people will bring them to repentance, that our love um, and our desire to be graceful and reconciliatory to them. Will lead people to repentance. Repentance is a simple spiritual word. Uh, it, it simply means to change, to change their mind and go the other direction. And then, and then, Paul, as he's aging, as he's older, he writes this letter. The aging Paul writes to this really young pastor named Timothy. He's ministering in a city called Ephesus, and um, Ephesus is a. Uh, it was the center of like pagan and emperor worship. There is stuff going on there that um, makes Las Vegas blush. And, the, and P- Timothy's planting a church here, and Paul writes to Timothy, and here's the advice. He says, um, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him. He says, look, I was, I was the worst, and Christ chose me and was patient with me and saved me as a display of how he works with with humanity. How people are brought to him. Um, The ways in which we draw near to people, the ways in which we strive ourselves to live holy lives and not worry so much about everyone else's holy lives, but we live it ourselves and then we draw near to people who need themselves to live holy lives and we just, were present and we listen and we pour out for them. That is how people are brought to change. And then... After this whole thing, Jesus could have closed the passage here, but he throws one more thing in there um, that cuts deep. But oftentimes, it's seen as disconnected from the passage um, because it's a whole other thought. Um, it sounds like this: It says, "Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs." Now, um, it seems on, on at face value that this is sort of a disconnected thing, but it's not. Again, we're talking about how to speak to people about their own unhealth. Um, about how to bring people to places of change and repentance and and getting them on the path back to God, um, helping them to understand the gospel, to dwell in the kingdom. Now, um, there's this thing that Jesus does several times, um, and it's sort of a It's sort of a rhyme, sort of a poem. He does it when he's writing to the Pharisees at one point. He's talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were pouring wine into their goblets, and they had cloths over the goblets because they were straining out any bugs that had gotten in the wine because bugs are unclean. And if you eat a bug, you're suddenly unclean, and you can't go to the temple, right? So they're pouring, and they're straining, and then they take it off, and then they drink their wine to make sure that they stay pure. And Jesus uh, goes to them, and he says, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow the whole camel, right? Um, So the... The Greek word for gnat is this word kamla, and the Greek word for, for a camel is the word gamla. You strain out a kamla, swallow a gamla. It's, and everyone laughs at them. Um, and, uh, and, then, and, and so, like, there's this witty thing that, that Rabbi Jesus is always doing where he's making these little rhymes, and they're memorable. Um, and he's like, look, you can do your best to strain out all the little things to keep yourself pure, but you basically swallowed a camel. Um, You're unclean. You need to repent. So, Jesus does that same sort of thing here. Um, so the Hebrew word for sacred um, is this word kadosh, and this, the, 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 the Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke, Hebrew is the language that the readers of Jesus would read, they were Hebrews, um, and then Jesus um, spoke in Aramaic, and so the, the word for pearls and pearl earrings um, is this word kadasha. And so they both sound almost identical, and so it sort of would come out like this in normal conversation. You would have said, dogs don't have kadosh and pigs don't have kadasha. Um, And it's sort of like this rhyming thing for the people to remember. Now, here's, okay, so this is where the context comes in to where um, I need you to to get out of modern first century context with me, and and we're going to think about this differently. Because we live in Seminole Heights, and Seminole Heights loves dogs, right? Now, different from the first century, they did not love dogs. Dogs in the first century, in the Roman Empire especially, were rodents. They were the street sweepers. Nobody had dogs unless you were like a hunter and you were, or you were going into battle and you wanted to send the dogs out to kill people. Um, they weren't like these lovable, like the poodle didn't exist. Um, and, and so the dogs are these unclean sort of rodents. Uh, we would more, to connect with us, we would say, you're not going to feed your rat off of your table, right? Um, because anything that is kadosh is something, it's like this pure food that God's people would eat. It's like kosher food. It's like, you're not going to make this kosher meal and then feed it to a rat. You're not going to do that. Um, and pigs, they didn't even eat pigs. They didn't keep pigs. Pigs were unclean to them. They wouldn't go near them. Um, and he says, you're not going to take a pig and like put earrings on it and like necklaces, and like paint its little hooves and dress it up unless you're making it like a YouTube video. Like that's not, not what we're doing. And and he says, so the, you have things that are, that are for you, and food can't be spared. You're not going to give it to dogs. You're not going to take your precious jewels and put them on things that don't need them. Um, okay, so here's what's going on here. And this is, it's going to sound a little, like, a little offensive. Because, like, the person that you were thinking of earlier, that you see as unhealthy, that is making decisions that they ought not to be making and you would like to confront them, or maybe you have been confronting them, trying to get them to change. In this scenario, they are the dog or the pig. Um, Don't look too deep into it. Um, And the words that you have been giving them, the things you want them to know, so something that is holy, like holy food, is meant to keep you pure and to fill you up, to give you what you need. Um, The pearls are made to make you beautiful. Um, So the words and the things that you desire for them, is the sacred food and the pearls. Um, so here's, here's what he's saying. Things that are valuable to you and, and beautiful and wonderful to you, um, any truth that you have, any words that you have that you think are just pearls of wisdom, right? They're not viewed as that by everyone else what does a dog want? What does a pig want in, those, in, in this, this day? They, they, want, they want to scavenge. They want food. You feed your dog. The dogs run around. They, they eat dead things in the streets. The pigs, you feed them the slop left over that nobody would eat, okay? Um, if you give a pig your pearls, like if you take off your watch and give it to a pig, what are they going to do with it? They're going to be like, oink, and put it on, like, oink. They're... They're not. They're going to chew on it. They're going to crunch it. And they're going to get upset because you, you are known for feeding them. And you gave them something that was not food and they're angry with you. Just because something is truthful and beautiful does not mean the other person is ready to receive it or knows what to do with it. Have you ever had someone in your life who does not like you or whatever give you advice? how was that received? In that scenario, you would be the, the dog or the pig, and the advice is the sacred and the pearls, and you don't see the value in anything they have to say. It's not what you need from them. It's not what you should expect from them. And their words to you come out as offensive. Um, just because it is true does not mean the person is ready to receive it. You wouldn't go, just for the same reason, you would not go to a beggar on the street and give them a house. They do not live in an infrastructure where they don't have the structure in their life to where they could have this thing, to where it would be good for them. A house is a wonderful thing. It's great. It's valuable. But they cannot cannot pay the insurance. They cannot do the upkeep. They... um, when it starts falling apart, they won't be able to fix things. They won't be able to pay the taxes. It's either going to be taken away or burned down or it's going to be sold. Um, They are not ready for it. Just because it's a valuable thing doesn't mean you should give it to somebody. There's a time and a place and it takes wisdom to know. Not only wisdom, it takes you drawing near to this person and knowing them. There is a thing that a beggar needs and hopefully one day it will be at a place where they can receive something like a house. But there are many, many things along the way, and the first thing that they need is to be seen, to be drawn near to, and to be known. My daughter um, had this little wallet with, like, cats on it, and there was, like, like 20 bucks in it that she had been saving up from doing her little daily chores and stuff, and she lost the wallet, like, on the playground or something like that. She lost the wallet with all her money in it, and she's crying, and I sat down next to her and I said, Penelope, don't you know that money should have been invested in a Roth IRA? At your age, do you know what compound interest would do? <laughs> Very disappointed. No, like she's not ready to receive that financial advice. <laughs> what she needs is a hug, and to say, "I'm really sorry." she's more upset about the purse than the money because the purse was adorable. And that's what she needs. Is love like and comfort? That's what she needs. There will be a time where I imagine one day she'll be like, Dad, how does a bank account work? I have some money. I got a paycheck. What should I do with it? Now we're ready. Okay? The pearls of wisdom. If you throw them at the wrong time, um, something happens. Jesus actually, if you're wondering what happens, Jesus actually tells you. He says this. Oh, no, this is Proverbs. Hold on. Pause that. This is great. Found this this morning, added it in. <laughs> Sorry. A lot, of, a lot of non-decaffeinated tea. Um, The right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. A wise warning to someone who will listen is as valuable as gold earrings or fine jewelry. Um, The right words, the right thing at the right time is what is needed. The person on the street with, with the megaphone calling a girl from our church a whore. What is he expecting to happen? What is the outcome he is expecting? She's not gonna look at him and say, you're right, what time does service start on Sunday? (laughs) She and everyone around her is offended, I'm offended, and all you want to do is fight the person. That's why Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. And if you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's what this is. Um, There are always conversations going on Usually by people who are groups of people collectively who are suffering, minorities, or, or, or lately it's been women um, uh, talking about the, the sexual harassment they have suffered their whole life. And then what you see is people disconnected from this whole thing, or maybe perpetrators of this, or people who have just allowed it to happen, speak into them and say, You know what you should do? You should do this. How does that go? It doesn't go well. You have no right to give advice to people who you don't understand their experience. Um, you have no idea what they've been through. You you don't know what it is like to be in the situation that they were in. The solution is to get as close as you can to get to know incarnational work in the same way that God entered into our world. By the way, this is why when you sent that email to that person and you were like, "I'm just going to be honest." I'm going to give them the truth, which is what they need. Um, And you sent that email to them. That's why the relationship ended. That's why they didn't respond gently. That is why uh, it went bad. That's why you got an angry email back. Because it was the wrong move. Reconciliation and repentance and change only happen in person as you draw near intimacy, getting to know the person and what they're going through, because only then do you have the right, after you've listened, to now speak. Once you have felt what they're feeling, endured what they've endured, then you can speak. But there is a lot of listening to be done before you can speak, if you want to help people really get healthy. Um, Oftentimes, we spend too much time speaking um, into situations that we do not understand. We do not understand at all. Um, We don't understand um, what it's like to be born with a, with, a, with a temperament that is unstable. And maybe you're born with a, with a temperament that is very stable, and you see someone who has a completely different temperament than you do, and all you can do is judge their actions and everything. You don't know what it's like to live wired the way that they are. You don't know what maybe what it's like to grow up in a home that is broken, where your parents are screaming at each other, if you came from the complete opposite Yet you look and you inspect and you tell them what they should do and you tell them how easy it is to not fall into that same pattern, pattern over and over and over again. Um, you don't know what it's like to be, to be like different from everyone else around you, to be born um, a different race, um, wired differently than 90% of the people around you. And when you speak to that person, like I have advice for you, pearls of wisdom, All you're doing is giving them something that you have not um, received the right to give them. Confrontation happens in relationship. Change happens. It's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. Um, God shows us how this works. He shows us how this is done. Um, There is this word that is used all through scriptures. It's a word that we translate as healing. It's the word we translate as wholeness. And it's the word we translate as salvation. And the word is soteria, and the word soteria is the word every time you see um, you see Jesus being referred to as Savior, you see, um, every time you see you know, your, your faith has, has made you whole, the word there is soteria. That's why some translations will say your faith has saved you, or your faith has healed you, or your faith has made you whole. It's one word. The word is soteria. It is not just this soul thing for later on after your debt. It is this wholeness. And, and instead of God, the, the way salvation enters into the world from, from the Christian point of view uh, is that instead of God sitting on a throne far, far away and hurling down like commands like lightning bolts, um, which God has every right to do, but instead God enters into the situation. And according to Scriptures, He moves in to your city, your neighborhood, and he was called tabernacles with us, like tents. That's the word for tents. He, like, he moves into the neighborhood. He buys a house next door to you. This is, this is the story of what Jesus did in the world. He moved in among us, and he walked with us, and he, and he washed our feet, um, and, he, and he, he took disciples that everyone else had rejected, um, the poor, the uneducated. Um, he brought in women and elevated them to the equal levels of men. Um, he Jesus moved in and drew near to people, and they were saved. He felt their pain. He lived under the oppressive empire that they were living under. He died the death of a a traitor against the empire. He stood against them. He was crucified. The blood ran down. It flowed. and, And then he was buried, and three days later, resurrection happens. Resurrection doesn't happen unless there's death first. You can't skip to the end. If you want people to be made whole again, resurrection, healing, salvation, all of it, there is a form of death. There is a following of Jesus, a taking up your cross and following him, moving towards people. This is how people are made whole. That's what all of this is about. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. I've gone too far already. And so we're going to take communion. Our communion service, you guys can take. go ahead and take the elements and spread around the room. Um, And so now when we go back to prayer before communion, I want you to think about that person again. Instead of thinking about all the things in them you need to confront, I want you first to think about the things in yourself that you need to confront. Um, Compare the teachings of Christ with your own actions. How have you been confronting them? How has it been working? Um, are, Are you just throwing pearls to people who are not ready to receive them? Is it causing more strife? Or have you drawn close? Are you listening? Are you willing? Like people come to me all the time and they say things like, how do I get this person to see this? How do I get this person to change? Honestly, it's possible that you can't. They may never change. Will you keep pursuing? Will you stay with them? Is, is your love for them really real or is it based on something else? They may not change at all. And so let's lift those people up in prayer and then let's pray for ourselves that we can learn to live in this way and bring real healing and salvation to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words, for this community. It's a beautiful group of people gathering together to be your your body as best we can. Guide us, make us whole, change us. And as we crawl towards you, I ask that you would help us to become more like you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.